Hey everyone, I have a great discussion for you all today. I'm joined by YouTuber and historian Christo Avalis. Christo, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. No problem. So there is a lot uh, for us to, to talk about here. Um, we're going to get into what's happening right now in Canada, a lot of issues right hap happening in Canada right now. And also we'll touch on uh, near the end, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, your thoughts on that. But um, first, let's get to, uh, I guess, the big news that kind of just came out, uh, which is the, uh, the dire situation in long-term care homes in Canada. The, uh, there's a report out from the Canadian Armed Forces that details issues like uh, cockroaches, rotten food, patients with ulcers left bedbound, staff moving from unit to unit wearing con uh, contaminated gear, forceful feeding of the elderly. Now, uh, I mean, this is sort of, I guess, really, in one way, not all that surprising, considering that we've all known how um, horrible the situation in long-term care homes have been for so long. But I think um, COVID-19 has really put a spotlight on it. What are your thoughts uh, about this report coming out and, and how long-term care has been treated in general in Canada? Well, it's horrifying, right? Like, it's, it's, like it's a horror story. It's like this is something you'd see in a, in a movie. I mean, it's, it's not surprising because not only did COVID-19 and this whole crisis you know, uh, put a spotlight on things, it exacerbated it, right? Because it's like you add the increased stress, the staff, when they get ill, they can't work. So staffing is affected. Um, you had people working from home to home because uh, long-term care workers didn't make enough money and get enough hours to have one full-time job at one, at one home. They often had to work at three or four in the vicinity of where they lived which meant that not only did it spread the illness, but these workers were already stretched thin. You throw this all in, it, it, it's, it, 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 it makes for a disaster. And I think what it does is it exposes like the profit-based system. You know, in Canada, we have some public long-term homes. We have some that are non-for-profit. They're not public, but they're, they're run by, by whether it's religious groups or something. And then we have private for-profit long-term care facility, facilities. We have a lot of people, you know, a lot of our American listeners assume that, you know, we have a Bernie Sanders style Medicare for all, but we don't. We, we have a system that's, you know, covers some aspects of your health care, but a lot of it, like senior citizens and, 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 and things like that, they, they have to pay for end of life care. And the quality of your care can depend vastly on how much money you have and if the home you're working for is run by crooks or not. And in Ontario yeah. in particular, which is where this report is centered, you know, under the previous liberal government, but also under the current uh, conservative government by Doug Ford, you're see you've seen a lack of inspections. You've seen, again, low wages, lack of regulation. Uh, you've seen former conservative premiers like Mike Harris on the board of some of these homes. It, it's a rotten situation and it, it exposes like the profit model that's been driving this. And this is. To be clear, none of this is a surprise. This is something that people were talking about as soon as this crisis broke. And whether or not it was about the, the current, you know, the coronavirus or what have you, workers, patients, family members, seniors advocates, the advocates for the rights of the disabled, etc., have been warning about this for years, if not longer, that something like this was one, one bad jump away, right? Because of this crisis and it, it's awful you're gonna hear doug ford think that this is you know something that shocks him but but the, this was this was something that we knew would happen yeah and moving forward 
what do you think the approach should be? The NDP have talked about folding, um, or Jagmeet Singh has talked about folding long-term care into the Canada Health Act. Uh, do you think this is the way forward? Do you think this will that kind of move would solve uh, what's happening right now in long-term care? Well, I mean, we should we should be clear that like this is this was always going to be a difficult crisis facing long-term care homes, e- mm-hmm. even in a public model, right? Because it's like elderly folks were the most at risk. Often people in these homes are are have other health issues in addition to being elderly. So even under good the best case scenarios, this was always going to be a challenge. But in Canada, we should let people know that when we've done decently in handling the spread of COVID and and limiting the mortalities, but when it comes to where we've failed, it's in long-term care facilities uh, across mm-hmm. the board. And what the data I've seen now, this was a couple of weeks ago. I haven't seen updated data says that you're, the death rate was three times higher, maybe three and a half times higher in private homes versus public ones. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't solve all the issues necessarily to end private long-term care facilities, but it would solve the most pressing issues. And, and my view personally is that these should have never been private. There should be no private health care in Canada. Dentists should be under health care. Uh, you know, eye care should be under health care. Your medicine should be under health care. But but it, the urgency is clear that like long term care facilities need to be publicly run. And there's been some new polling that came out just today by Angus Reid that shows that two thirds of Canadians, including 50 percent of uh, it's about 50 percent of conservatives, basically. So mm-hmm. then the more right wing party think that that there shouldn't be private home care. And, and I think that you're know, rolling it into provincial health care and, and having the Canada Health Care Act set up to to uh, through carrots and sticks, basically eliminate private like long term care homes is the best way forward. And I think personally, maybe this is me being a bit vindictive because of how mad I am. I think any home that uh, had violations in this crisis, the, the, it should be taken from their owners without compensation. It should be uh, seized as uh, as criminal proceeds almost and and the, the owners of those homes should not be rewarded uh by net by like a bailout now looking at the liberal response uh broadly to the pandemic how do you feel about what trudeau has done so far and you know the cerb the wage subsidy now potentially 10 paid sick days uh into the recovery phase what are your thoughts so far on what trudeau has done and maybe what's influenced him <laughs> to do uh many of these things yeah, I mean, in terms of the, the, the COVID itself, he hasn't done a bad job. He hasn't done a great job. I think he closed the border with the U.S. too late. He could have done it at least a few mm. days earlier. That could have made a small difference. There wasn't enough testing and direction at the airports. Early on in this crisis, a lot of snowbirds were coming back from their, uh, from Florida and California and stuff. And they were being asked, they were supposedly being told to self-isolate and they, that they'd get tested and all this. But when uh, the CBC and other journalists were interviewing them, you know, outside of Pearson in Toronto, none of them were saying they were asked. So early on, there were some key failures on the on the testing and treatment side. But that part's been decent. In terms of aid, a lot of that's been okay. But insofar as it's been okay, uh, as you've noted and I've noted in, in Passage and other sources, it's been the NDP's pressure. The Liberals' original stimulus package crisis package was 27 billion dollars um it's more than four times that now and that's Mm. because you know what they originally proposed before interventions from the ndp and the Bloc and the greens 
you know, but especially the NDP, but all parties, really, to be fair. Th- it was a tiny package. The CERB was basically non-existent. They were basically going to try and let EI handle this, which would have been a disaster because EI is is basically designed to not pay workers. Like, that's how EI works. <laughs> yeah. And the majority of, of, of workers, when they go unemployed, actually can't get EI because of the, all the, the, the rigmarole. Uh, and so the CERB isn't perfect. It leaves out the very poorest Canadians. It leaves out students. Uh, they created a new program for students, but it's inferior. But every step of the way, what's happened is the liberals have dilly-dallied. Then they've done nothing. Uh, the people, the NDP unions, progressive groups, uh, individual Canadians raise a stink about it. And then the liberals go and do something which is okay, but not good enough. Right. So they create a CERB, which includes a lot of people, but leaves out, you know, a million plus, you know, unemployed Canadians. They create a student program to respond, but it's full of all these like loopholes and you have to apply for it. They, um, you know, go, they, they talk about creating uh, aid programs for workers, but it's not enough fast enough. And now we have the new provision, which is the NDP's call for 14 paid sick days. They want to do 10 paid sick days. So um, it's good, but it, it's, it's, it's only good insofar as they've been forced from the left to make it good because it's a minority government. And because they realize that, you know, going into the next election, uh, you know, Jugmeet Singh's young and charismatic and they don't want to be able to give him the opportunity to say, you know, the liberals left you high and dry while we were proposing solutions. Yeah. And I'm now beginning to, to develop this theory that Trudeau and the liberals are doing all of this because they want to build this, this goodwill. Um, and we have this story coming out where Trudeau is tapping bank CEOs to help advise them on economic recovery. So, I mean, my thinking here is, you know, they're doing all this great stuff now, but ultimately they're going to say, well, now we've got to go back to austerity because we've got to pay for all this stuff. What are your thoughts on, on Trudeau tapping these bank CEOs to help him on his economic recovery? Do you think, are, are you as, you know, uh, are, are you thinking about this the, the same way that I'm thinking about this, that he's, he's planning it in this sort of way? Yeah, and I mean, the, a lot of people think of con- the Conservative Party as like the party of big business in Canada, but in some ways it's more the Liberals. The liberals have the ties to like the banks more, the the big in, like SNC Lavalin. Like conservatives mm-hmm. have corporate ties, but they're they're more like in the oil industry. Like mm. the real like long historical corporate ties are more liberal than conservative in Canada. And um, it doesn't surprise me that Trudeau's going to the banks for recovery advice. Now that could be uh, uh, austerity. It could also be quantitative easing, which benefits the banks. Uh, you know, because they, whenever interest becomes free, banks can effectively print money and then still mm-hmm. lend it out with interest to to regular Canadians and small businesses. So it could be a mixture of multiple things, but it doesn't surprise me that Trudeau's reaching out to the banks. In terms of his political approach, it's actually kind of tricky. I think his goal actually is to uh, try and win a majority government, which if the polls, if the election was today, he might he he might well win a majority, a big one, mm-hmm. and then after winning a majority government, start the austerity and hope that mm-hmm. again people yeah. forget because the, it, there won't be an election for three or four, or maybe even five years, and that would be his strategy. Now he has to get to that point. They could call an election now because it's a minority government. They could just you know let the government fall, but then they would look like monsters because yeah. they would send this to, and and the, the no one's pulling the government down because. The NDP and the bloc see the polls. 
No mm-hmm. parties have money. None of the parties have money. The conservatives don't have a, 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 their leader yet. So nobody wants an election right now. So the liberals have to kind of time this where it's like they, they know they're going to do austerity. We know it. We know it. But they if they do it before the next election, they're going to bleed support to the NDP, right? But if they, you know, so I, I think that their timing is going to have to be very key. But I do think it's very telling. Now, going to the banks, again, doesn't always ju- just mean austerity. It could mean public-private partnerships, which are, you know, this the public basically socializes mm-hmm. the risk and corporations yeah. benefit. So Trudeau has shown that you could still be uh, very, very pro-corporate and anti-worker while spending money, right? It, it's not always about just austerity. So it could yeah. be a mixture of a lot of things. Yeah. Now, one of the benefits that the liberals have going into a potential election in the future is that the media is usually on their side in terms of the framing when it comes to framing these sorts of discussions, framing the politics. You uh, pointed out recently that there's a recent CBC report that was tweeted out by uh, John Paul Tasker of, of CBC, where he tweeted, quote, the, the NDP uh, to apply for federal wage subsidy as donations dry up. And then so it sounds like, oh, the NDP has, you know, no support, their donations drying up, they're using the federal wage subsidy. And then later on, he follows it up <laughs> saying that, oh, by the way, liberals and conservatives also are applying for this wage subsidy. I mean, this kind of feeds into how the, the NDP is, is often treated um, by the media. What are your thoughts on, on that whole thing? Yeah, it was it was a really telling example. I mean, part of it was driven by the fact that the NDP was honest with people about it, that they were mm-hmm. going to take it. For Americans who don't know, the basically the way it works is is that organization employers in Canada who have seen more than a 30% reduction in revenue can apply for wage subsidies, which would allow um, the, the, the which the federal government will help to cover a portion of wages for everyone you keep employed. It's actually quite similar to what Bernie was proposing in the states and kind of what they're doing in Denmark, right? That's the and that was again pushed by the NDP. And so everyone, all the narrative was, oh, the NDP, the party of welfare, J.J. McCullough tweeted it out, uh, you know, saying the party of welfare goes on welfare. Everyone saying, oh, the NDP's got no money. They're falling apart. Liberals, conservatives, everyone tweeting it. And then all of them, 20, 30 minutes later, had to see that, like, actually, their parties not only also applied, but were already getting the subsidy. So they had been at least for a couple (laughs) weeks, probably, right? Because it's not immediate. They had already been getting the money, and so is the Green Party for that matter. The Green Party's also getting it. And I actually don't have an issue with it. I really don't. But for me, it's it's like it's the media coverage was such an example because the way it works is, is that we know when you change a title on YouTube, it doesn't update the title on Twitter or Facebook. Mm-hmm. So like somebody big t- tweets it out. The, t- the title says the NDP did it all over Reddit, all over Facebook, all over Twitter. There were all these articles basically saying – the NDP applies for the subsidy with the picture of Jugmeat. And it's like if you go to the article and if you retweeted it after or you, you posted it after, it might have the updated title. But by then, the damage is almost done. It's almost yeah. like uh, like a couple years ago when Singh had a, 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 a by-election launch and the, the coverage was that he did it in the, outside the riding. He did, like, he did it on the wrong part of Toronto. But that was actually incorrect. It was in the appropriate riding. And this story was so was was so went uncorrected for so long that the Globe and Mail actually did a political cartoon with Singh unable to read a map, right? So, <laughs> oh and then God. two or three days after that, they corrected it. But again, by then, there's already an editorial cartoon in the Canadian equivalent of the New York Times. It's all over the internet, 
And people have already moved on from the story. The damage is done. Sing doesn't know how to or read a map, right? And it's like that's how you do it. And you've uh, you you've made the correction, but but it's too late. It's too late, right? And I think that this is a key example uh, of that. And and I mean, even I was fooled. Like even I was fooled. like, oh god, this is embarrassing. Why? Yeah. Why? Like why do we have to let this be known? Like I gotta. I, you know, I got to like <laughs> talk to people about how the NDP's got no money. And to be clear, the NDP has struggled with fundraising. A lot, mm-hmm. a lot of parties have. But but like this was affecting all the major parties and yeah. the coverage wouldn't have uh, let you let that be known. Yeah. Well, let's move on from uh, all of that's happening in Canada to what's happening in America. Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So I'm not going to. We're not going to get into everything's happening with the pandemic and all that. I mean, there's a lot of reporting on that. But just in terms of the race coming up, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, what are your thoughts right now on how the Joe, Joe Biden campaign is doing or maybe what they need to do to defeat Donald Trump? Or if you think, I mean, your approach to, to voting, if you were an American, how would you feel about this election? What do you think you may do? Or is there still you know six months to, to really think about it? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't make my decision now. I think a lot of people have been say, like, whether or not you're a harm reduction voter or your, uh, you know, uh, vote your ideals voter, I think uh, declaring your your situation right now is maybe not tactically wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's like again, there's months and months to make that decision, and, and the way I've approached it on my channel is similar to you, which is that, you know, uh, I'm not going to vote shame people. If you mm-hmm. believe that the best option is to tactically vote for Biden because you worry about uh, marginalized people. Uh, and that's the decision you're going to make. Uh, I respect that. Or if you're like, because of Tara Reid, his right wing ideology, um, the, 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 the Democratic Party's general failures, that you can't bring yourself to vote for Biden and or most down ballot Democrats and you want to vote for the Green Party or whoever. I respect that as well. And maybe that sounds like fence sitting. But like my honest position is like, I don't want to get into this vote shaming business. Right. Like state your case, make your position. And go with it. Honestly, if I was an American, I don't know what I would do. Uh, mm-hmm. Four years ago, I would have voted for Hillary. I would have uh, probably would have had to bring like a, 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 you know, a bag to throw up in after I did it. <laughs> but but I would have. I would have yeah. done it. But Biden uh, is, is, is has all the, the political scandals of Hillary with even more personal scandals. And there's not even the, the, the hope that, you know, uh, having a woman president, however flawed she is, could inspire some people. Like, there's none of that here. So I don't know what I would do. Honestly, I really don't. I really yeah. don't know. And in terms of what Biden needs to do, I mean, I think he needs to I think he needs to just move to where the majority of Americans are if he wants to guarantee a win. Trump's doing so bad that Biden might still win. Right. Like, in spite of all of his failures, Trump's just been worse and he continues to poll well. And he's even polling decently in some red states or some you know, like mm-hmm. Georgia and stuff. Right. So yeah. maybe, maybe Biden has to do nothing. Maybe, maybe, maybe the, the neoliberals are right. And like, he can just coast to victory, but I'm skeptical because Hillary yeah. was polling this strongly six months out. But I mean, I guess from, from my perspective, he needs to look and see that like 70% of Americans want Medicare for all his own party. Yeah. But even a majority of, of independents want Medicare for all. And that if there was ever a time to change your mind on something and not look like a flip-flopper, it's now where you could easily make the case that this crisis uh, has changed my mind on, on, on healthcare systems that require you to have a job status. And I've learned the error of my ways. And I think if he makes that move, a lot of people wouldn't believe him. 
but I think the average uh, Bernie voter, not the like not the 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 very online Bernie voters, would probably be very impressed by that and it would move to him. But I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm I not think sure. It- I think you're right about that in terms of if he were to adopt Medicare for all. I think the real issue, though, is he never there's no chance he ever will simply because of of the interests that run the party. And uh, ultimately, though, I agree with like most of what you're saying. I, I think voter voter shaming is is not the right way to to win people over. Um, I think regardless of how you're going to vote, I think you should understand that different people have different ways of voting. And sure, it's good to communicate uh, how you feel about an issue and maybe try and convince people, but don't convince people by, by shaming them for voting the way they're going to vote. I just don't think it's effective. Um, and yeah, Joe Biden, I at this point, look, this can all change because we got six months, but at this point, I think Joe Biden would win. And it's because Trump is such a disaster right now. And all Joe Biden, as you said, has to do, I think, is just hide. And, you know, I, I think that's enough. Uh, the more Joe Biden shows his face, the more he says dumb things that get out in the media or, or go out online. If he just hides, sits back, and just becomes the person that isn't Trump, I think he can coast to victory. And this is really a rare situation, a rare election, where that's the case. Usually Democrats Pre-COVID, have to actually excite I wouldn't voters. Have believed it. Yeah, it's t- completely. I, I, th- I think COVID has really exposed how horrible Trump is for a lot of people. And I think that's really what's going to drive a big turnout for, uh, really against Donald Trump, and because of that, for Joe Biden. Yeah, like um, I, I still yeah. think you don't want to be too complacent, right? Because... Like, again, like there were tons, like, everyone was sharing the Knipiak poll. You and I both did videos on that, or I did something on my live stream. But, yeah. like, Hillary was leading polls, in some cases, 12, 13, 14 points this mm-hmm. far out. Uh, yeah. The New York Times, a couple weeks ago, at least, I think Biden's polling's improved a bit, said that Biden leads Trump up by smaller amounts than Hillary did in the previous cycle. So, like, nothing is guaranteed, right? But But it does seem like if there ever is going to be an election where you can put up a Democratic candidate with views that don't represent his party, with clear cognitive decline, who's hiding in his basement, and still win, and maybe win big, like this would be that one election. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, we got a few more minutes here, I think, left. Let me just go over some uh, tweets that came in as I put on Twitter that you were coming on. Um, So uh, Noam Chomsky, Noam as in Garden Noam Chomsky, (laughs) tweets out, Liberals trying to escape blame for the Ontario long-term care situation. Uh, also, of course, about the Fed, uh, NDP's great efforts. So what are your thoughts on, I guess, Liberals trying to escape blame for the Ontario yeah, long-term care situation? Yeah, I mean, currently in Ontario, for, for those who don't know, we had an election in 2018 here in Ontario, and the Conservatives, uh, Doug Ford's Conservatives, won a majority government, throwing out the previous Liberal regime, which under a couple people, because there was McGuinty before, had basically been in power since the mid 2000s, right? For, for mm-hmm. well over a, a, a decade, all, all, like 15 years or so, basically. Um, and so during that whole time, uh, there wasn't any systemic effort to deal with long-term care issues. They did raise some wages. Uh, they did more inspections than Ford. So I would say it's fair for them to note that there was an even further decline in the short time that Ford's been in power. But the reality is that they were in power for 15 years yeah. and they didn't make the, the structural changes to make things better. So uh, it's a bit rich to hear from them saying that, like, this is fully on Doug Ford. And really, this goes all the way back to Mike Harris uh, in the in the mid 1990s, the previous conservative government, where a lot of the cuts to all sorts of healthcare and infrastructure happened, uh, you know, as the, the conservatives and, and the federal liberals drove austerity. And in terms of the NDP, I mean, I think, 
you know, we're starting to see it turn a little bit. A few weeks ago, no one was talking about Singh and, and what he was doing. And I think it's come forward slowly. You've been seeing more and more like progressive media talk about it. And then the mainstream media is actually starting to pretend he exists. I watched the, the National last night. And for what I think is the first time I can remember in a long time, they actually mentioned Singh when they talked about the potential for the sick leave policy. So yeah. we're, we're seeing a bit more there. Now, will that come into polling? I'm not sure. But at the very least, it's, it's a bit more honest. I think what also helped Singh there is that Trudeau actually mentioned Jagmeet Singh when he was discussing that, which uh, honestly kind of surprised me that he would he would give Singh that, that kind of credit. But um, he did that. And because of that, they really can't ignore the fact that Singh was instrumental in bringing up that, that, that policy. Yeah, part um, of this is, yeah. is based on. So the way it works is, is that when when Trudeau would adopt water down, but then adopt an NDP policy like the CERB, where they gave it to a lot of people, but not everyone who needed it. And then they approved it a bit, but not enough. Trudeau would then, he does an 11 a.m. press conference every day, Justin Trudeau, in front of his, where he lives, basically. Uh, and it's a big thing, and all the news media covers it. But then there's almost no coverage for opposition parties, uh, mm -hmm. federally or provincially. Like, And this is not even a partisan thing. Like, You don't get coverage of the opposition parties in most areas. So the government is monopolizing coverage, um, which makes it very difficult to get in, like, get in edgewise. So... Uh, it is rare to see it. Uh, it, it. It's very rare. Even Again, other times where Singh would rightfully deserve kudos or the Greens or the Bloc would, uh, Trudeau hasn't given it. So it's interesting he did this time. Another tweet here from uh, Heather. Uh, why does no one talk about how well the uh, how well BC has done during the pandemic? The only NDP government, lots of cooperation, focus on chief health officer, uh, started out with high numbers, but now very low. NDP deserves credit. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on how, how well the NDP have done in, in B.C.? I mean, they've done a great job. It, there was some data from uh, that was reported on last week, week before, that said in states and provinces with more than 5 million people, so excluding, you know, the really, really small, like the Maritimes and like mm -hmm. that, that they didn't have a lot of international travel and some of the, the small western states, you exclude those states, B.C. had the lowest per capita rate of, of fatalities, from COVID. Most of those, again, like in Ontario and Quebec, have been located in long-term care facilities. Not to, to downplay the severity or the significance, but they've done a great job at limiting community spread in, um, in, in British Columbia. Uh, they've been very clear with people. They were proactive. They've not only been working with the federal government, they've even been working with Jay Inslee's uh, administration in Washington state. Uh, you know, kind of like, in a way, because the federal government in Canada and maybe especially Trump's government have not always done enough to communicate uh, with border states about mm -hmm. and border provinces. So they've done some extra work there. And um, in addition to that, they've done some extra things beyond the federal assistance. They have a renter's assistance program, which frankly is insufficient, but no other province is doing anything like it. And as you noted on your channel and a lot of other people have, they uh, they bought a hotel. They just did. Yeah. They nationalized uh, uh, got days in or what have you mm -hmm. and are for the immediate term going to make it uh, like housing for homeless people so they can socially distance and then transition that into social housing of some kind after the crisis. So they took this opportunity to do that. And the uh, BC has also taken the lead in calling for a national uh, sick leave program that they were the first province right. uh, and the loudest province on that saying the federal government needs to play a role 
because while labor law is largely provincial in Canada, uh, we realize that when workers are sick, it can have a national effect in terms of spread. Uh, and so the national government has to at least play a coordinating role. Yeah, they've done great. Yeah. They've done a great job. So uh, last one here, uh, kind of a, a two tweets kind of touched on almost the, the same topic um, from Nora, how the NDP is really working to push us more left during the pandemic and how to use this going forward. And this goes into what Flosha said as well on Twitter, saying Canadian labor market after COVID-19, what should the left push for in a new normal? Yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, in terms of what the NDP needs to do to push us more left, they got to keep doing what they're doing. Uh, they also have to go beyond that. Singh has made the right remarks in terms of how we can't go back to normal. Right, like there's a lot of this rhetoric about going back to normal. That's the Biden mm -hmm. campaign is return to normal. Yeah. But normal was awful for working people, whether it's th like March 13th normal or whether it's the day before Donald Trump normal. Normal was bad for working people. And so you can't go back to that. You need to actually build, build something better. So the NDP's created a rebuilding Canada committee. And I hope that includes, you know, all of the things that we've been implementing to preserve them at least somewhat. The CERB, maybe it has to be scaled back a bit, but preserve something of the CERB to preserve, to build and preserve a national sick leave program. There's been some deals done with some of the provinces to raise minimum wages for low wage essential workers, people who work at like grocery stores and stuff. That should be preserved. Those wages should never fall. Like we shouldn't do what Bezos and Amazon are doing where they're cutting wages yeah. back in the middle of the crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that what we have to do is make all of these things permanent. We have to talk about how you know, with a lot of these industries, like we've now asserted that private models don't work. And I think the NDP needs to assert that, you know, we need to ensure that all healthcare is public, the focus on seniors care right now, but that could be connected to pharmacare uh, and that could be connected to all the other uh, outstanding elements of the healthcare system. And what's crucial uh, is that in terms of how we pay for it, if there is to be a discussion uh, the cost should be levied on the rich and wealthy and well-connected. And the NDP has often talked about a wealth tax. Uh, they ran, they were the only party to really run on it. The Greens had it tucked away in their platform, but the NDP ran hard on a wealth tax in 2019. And now 70% of Canadians support it. And so the NDP needs to make that central. When it comes yeah. to paying for the crisis, we need to tax the rich on their wealth, not just their income, uh, before we have any talk about you know, rolling back the expansions of, of of help in this crisis. And that has to be the, the, the overarching goal. Yeah. Yeah. And support for the wealth tax is bipartisan. Uh, most conservative voters in that same poll that, that you're talking about also support the wealth tax. So, I mean, it seems like a no brainer, but I, yeah, you, you will need an NDP government for it to happen because the liberals aren't going to do that. Even a liberal, even an NDP minority might have a hard time because the liberals and conservatives, you know, yeah. it, it is tricky, right? I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is that a majority of, of, of voters from every party, a strong majority from every party, again, uh, uh, not just 50, it's not just it's 51% conservative. It's like they're in the high 60s as well. Yeah. Every like men and women, every province, every age group, every uh, every political affiliation supports a wealth tax heavily. But if the liberal and conservative party as institutions don't support a wealth tax, then it's unlikely it's going to happen because conservative voters vote conservative for a lot of reasons. Um, and liberals get the benefit of being the strategic vote hub. And a lot of people who maybe vote liberal, uh, you know, even though they don't like the liberal policies or they don't love the liberal policies, 
feel like they have to because they're trapped. And it's going to be very hard to implement a wealth tax unless, you know, it, 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 the, the, the liberals can be convinced, for instance, that to not do it would, would cost them the government uh, and allow the NDP to come in and, and implement something even bigger. So, I mean, hypothetically, if things got bad enough, maybe Singh could convince Trudeau. But I'd be very, very, very shocked if uh, a liberal or conservative government put in a wealth tax. Yeah. Um, well, thanks again, Christo, for, uh, for coming on. Uh, plug your channel. Where can people find you? Yeah, if people want to see my work, you can see uh, it here on YouTube. Uh, David will have a link in the description, but it's yeah. just Christo Abelis. If you YouTube search that, it should be the first or second thing that comes up. Uh, just It's also just my name, all one word, uh, on Twitter. You can find me there. You can also find me on Facebook. I have a couple pages and stuff there. You can add me as a friend on Facebook. Uh, yeah, that's that's where my work is. I also have written for the Washington Post, Globe and Mail, McLean's Passage. You can find that if you just Google me. But uh, yeah, check me out on YouTube. Uh, if you like David's stuff, you should like at least some of my stuff. <laughs> You'll like all of his stuff. Christo does awesome work. Definitely check him out. I'll have all the links below the video in the description box. Christo, thanks again. Thanks for having me.